0: Let's open our Bibles this morning first to the twenty third Psalm. I feel just compelled that we should read this together today. <clears throat> Have your own Bible or the hymn or the Bible from the pew? We'll simply read these words together to remind us of our Heavenly Father's care for us. times when we don't know it, sometimes we are very aware of it, but it is he who does this wonderful work in us. So if you're able, will you stand with me and we'll read together the words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou dost prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Thou hast anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows." Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let me pray. Lord, as we read these words, they remind us of who you are, remind us of your comfort for us, remind us that you do these things in our lives. So often when we need rest, you provide it for us. You make us lie down in those green pastures. You give us the confidence and the stillness of heart so that we might find rest. You do the restoring of our soul. You do the guiding of us on the path of righteousness. You do these things so that our lives and all that we are might declare your glory to the point, Lord, that our cup overflows with these things. You pour them on us again and again and again. They come pouring out of our cup, that we might be demonstrators of this same mercy to those around us. Come, Heavenly Father, today, that we might experience these things as we study your word, that we might know them in our hearts, that they might fill us to the overflow of all that you give us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. This is, very good, we got the thumbs up on Miss Virginia, so very good. This is Pentecost, for those of you who have red ties on, or red dresses, or the pyramids are red. Um, the pyramids, I was uh, being examined by the EPC, and uh, this was a couple years ago at a Presbytery meeting, and uh, they were asking me a question, and one of the guys talked asked about the church calendar, and I said, well, you know, when you change the, uh, the, uh, you know, I'm pointing to them, and, and one of my buddies in the back row yells out, paramounts, like that. <laughs> so, so I got a little help from the back row there. But you see, this is red, and red it deals with the tongues of fire that we'll see in the second chapter of signs of the Spirit coming down upon the church. Now... The second chapter of Acts is really a watershed moment in history and in the life of the church and in the plan of God as he works things out. Previously, the Holy Spirit would come upon uh, people and, 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 and groups of people for a period of time and then leave. And they would do great things during those periods of time, and then the Spirit would leave. Well, from now on, the Spirit comes upon believers and stays, There is no coming and going of the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer, He lives within you. That is it. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. There is no need to search. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Yes, the Holy Spirit is in you if you are a believer. Okay? Now, he does come upon us in special times of great and powerful works, times of revival, and we've seen this throughout history, times where uh, plain what we would call no, not no account, but, but just just the likes of you and me all of a sudden are able to do these great things. And all of a sudden the words from our mouths have this power and have this authority. Or we are able to go above and beyond anything that we could think or imagine and do things for the Lord. And the Holy Spirit has come upon us at those moments for those types of work. Now let me read from uh, this second chapter of Acts so that we can have an understanding of what is going on within the context here. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. This is a continuation of chapter 1. If you flip back just a page, remember in chapter 1, verse 4, "...and gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now." And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs for which the father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest part of the earth. That's the purpose of the power coming upon them, that they might witness to the things of Christ, both in their local area, their wider area, and even to the points of all across the earth. So they were all gathered together in one place. And suddenly, now they just had the promise that the Spirit was coming, right? But suddenly, and it shocked them that suddenly, just like... The Lord is going to come, we ask this question all the time. Jesus is going to return soon, but it will still be a shock, okay? He is promised, and is promised to come soon, but we will still be surprised, it will be sudden, okay? Yes, there will be signs, but it will be sudden at the same time. This is what has happened here in the second chapter of Acts. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as a fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because they were each one hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and marveled, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? What does this mean? Now there is only one person I have ever met in my life who has experienced tongues in this fashion. Okay, As you can clearly see, this deals with known languages that were spoken so that others might understand the gospel message. He was a retired pastor... He was from South Africa and he was in India for a period of time. And he was at this great outdoor gathering where one person was preaching. It was a great time of worship, but he was preaching in some obscure Indian dialect. It could have been any Indian dialect. My friend would not have understood it. So, but he was there and, and worshiping okay? because he knew the presence of the Lord was there. He knew what was going on. He didn't understand anything that was being said. And as the man got up and began to preach... The woman standing next to my friend began to translate his words into English. Now, he was very grateful, even though he had never spoken to this woman before or ever met this woman before. But yet she was translating the message into English for him. And as she continued to translate the message, all the people around her began to look at her. And it was clear that she had never spoken English before in her lifetime. When the message was over, she no longer spoke English. Okay, that's the only time that I have ever heard anyone share any evidence um, of this type of work of the Lord. So does this work go on? Well, I, I believe my friend, he was, that was the first person account of it. Uh, so, but what was the purpose of that? That was the purpose so that someone could understand the gospel and could understand the exposition of the scripture. And that's what we have here in the second chapter of Acts. We have these people who are gathered from all over the world and suddenly all over the known world. And you see all of these places listed. And that means this is a different dialect or a different language in each of these places. They each heard the message of the gospel because the gift of tongues had come upon those who were there. And they were able to translate into these languages the gospel message. So that's what we have here going on in the second chapter of Acts. Now this is not, we're not here to deal with the other uh, issues of tongues and the cessation or the continuation of gifts throughout the New Testament. But all we're dealing with is this chapter here. And after this happens, the church is never the same. The church is never the same from this moment on. If we're looking at uh, how we are studying the word in in, 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 a, in a linear fashion, from this Sunday forth, everything we will deal with in Acts is different because the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come and rested upon the church, those 120 or so who are gathered, and how is it possible that they would go and change the world? How is it possible that Peter, who just a few days ago was afraid to... Con- to confess that he was a follower of Christ to a little servant girl, how is it that just, well, we'll see next week, but in a few moments from now, he preaches a sermon that is so powerful that 3,000 are added to the church that day. What happened the day before? Why couldn't he have preached that sermon the day before? He didn't have the Holy Spirit at that time. Now he has the Holy Spirit, and everything within the church is different. Suddenly, Peter's the man. Why is he the man? Because he's got the Spirit. Okay. Before, he was just Peter. Now, he's Peter, the man, because he's Peter filled with the Spirit, Okay, filled with the Spirit. Before Peter was empty, God fills him with the Spirit. Before Peter had been a failure, God makes him a success. Before Peter was weak, God now makes him strong by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in his life. Now, it certainly looks from history... When you study history and those who have gone off to the mission field or those who have done great works for the Lord, that they don't seem to be anything special according to the description of what the world thinks it takes to be successful. Okay, often people who go into the mission field, often people who go and do these great things for the Lord are not suave, are not have the necessary gifts that we would think that the world would say. You know, if you give your uh, resume, uh, you know, you're not going to get hired according to the world. If, but that's not what the Lord is concerned about. The Lord is not concerned about those gifts. The Lord is concerned about your availability to him. One of my favorite examples of this, and we've talked about him before, is William Carey. Uh, So I will just remind you about William Carey. William Carey was born in 1761 in a small village in England. Uh, not um, uh, Not very special according to the things of the world. He spent his childhood in poverty. His first job was as a shoemaker's apprentice. He was a cobbler. Okay? He had no formal education, but he read a lot. He had some gift for languages. He was never considered very bright by those around him. But he stated himself, when asked, what is your gift? He said, I can plod. I can plod. Now that comes in very handy in the rest of his life. He became associated with the Baptist and began to preach in small churches. And in 1791, uh, his sermon, which is known... Uh, as kind of the, the the call for missions across the world he used this phrase expect great things from god attempt great things for god i think we're well aware of that statement there were no missionary societies at that time there were no real missionary interests as there is today the hyper calvinist and i'll explain that what a hyper calvinist is uh, pretty ha- pretty much had reign of the church in England at that day and their view of evangelism uh, kind of uh, held sway and William Carey went to one of their meetings once and said you know I feel called to go to India and take the gospel to India and the response was young man sit down when God pleases to convert the heathen he will do it without your aid or mine okay that's hyper-Calvinism you don't have to share the gospel the Lord will just convince them sooner or later. Gee, that goes against certain things in the New Testament about taking the gospel into all the world, making disciples, how will they know unless they are told things like that? I don't know any hyper Calvinists today, by the way. Okay? So Carrie was rejected on four different occasions for mission work until he was finally accepted, probably just to get them out of his hair, out of their hair. Okay. probably just to send him off. The average lifespan of an Englishman in India at that time was about 60 days, so they really didn't give him much chance of being successful in India. Okay. Kerry <sighs> did not have the experience, he did not have the gifts according to the world, but he was weak, and the Lord made him strong. He was empty, and the Lord filled him. He was a failure, and the Lord made him a success. He spent six years in India before seeing his first convert. After that, did great things for the Lord, a couple of them. By 1801, Carey had translated the Bible into Bengali, Oriya, Marathi, Hindi, Asamasi, Sanskrit, and over Sanskrit. And over the course of his life, he would translate all or parts of the Bible into over forty languages or dialects. Forty languages or dialects. When he died at age 73, he had been a college professor. He had founded a college. He had open, seen the doors of India open for missionaries. And he had been instrumental in ending the practice of sati or widow burning. Okay, of widow burning. Not much to look at. But he was empty and he was weak and he was a failure according to the world. And the Lord filled him and the Lord made him strong and the Lord made him a success. Lord made him a success. So as I said, when we come to chapter two of Acts, everything is different. Those who appear to have nothing are suddenly filled with everything they need to do the ministry the Lord calls them to do. Remember at Jesus' baptism, what descended? It was the dove that was in the in the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove. Now he was ready for his public ministry. The Holy Spirit has come upon the apostles and the disciples and those gathered in its room. Now they are ready for their ministry. Okay? Now they are empowered and ready to go. Jesus explains that they would be baptized, back in Acts chapter 1, baptized with the Holy Spirit a couple days from now so that they would be able to witness to Him, witness to His words and His work. And we know that the main theme of most of the sermons recorded in the New Testament are the resurrection of Christ so that they would be able to witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They would depend upon that that power. They would rely upon that power. And while they had experienced a measure of power before, now they were going to experience that full measure of the Holy Spirit's power in their lives. Now, to understand this particular event of Pentecost, we have to understand a little bit of Jewish history as well. There were three main feasts in the Jewish world. The first was Passover, and that was held in the spring. Pardon me, and that uh, celebrated the deliverance from Egypt when the angel of death passed over the Israelites and took the firstborn from the Egyptians. The second is the Feast of Unleavened Bread or Passover, sometimes called the Feast of Weeks, which occurred 50 days or 70 weeks after Passover. Okay, and this, at this feast, they offered the first. Fruits of what they had harvested, the first fruits of what they have harvested. Now, uh, we talked a little bit in Sunday school today. You didn't gather it all in and then give a portion off the top. You gave the first fruits that came in, and this happened on a Sunday, right at harvest time. So you would go out on Saturday and you would harvest and bring it in, and you would offer it to the Lord the next day. Okay, that was the first fruits, and then the third one, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, which happens in the fall. Now, in these feasts, uh, we often have this offering of bread with leaven in it. You know, in, in Passover, there was the unleavened bread, but in the Feast of Pentecost, you had this leaven bread. And it was a sign of this mixing. Leaven is often a sign of sin in the Old Testament. And they would wave these two loaves of bread during this feast and during this offering, Well, when you take it with the coming of the Holy Spirit here in Acts chapter 2, you see that this integration of leaven within the bread, it can be applied to the integration within the church now. No longer is this just a group of Jews in in the promised people, the covenant people. This is now, the gospel message is now being taken to the Gentiles as well. Okay, Remember, in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We are all one in Christ. This is this great integration from every tribe, tongue, and nation into the church. So all who believe in Jesus Christ receive the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation, Galatians chapter 3. You can write that and look that up a little bit later. Paul states, you are not in the flesh but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells within you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. We read that a little bit earlier together from Romans chapter 8. Now, we need to be careful to distinguish between a couple of phrases, a couple of items as, it, as they are listed in Scripture. Uh, Jesus says that the apostles would be baptized by the Holy Spirit, which occurred on the day of Pentecost. Baptism refers to being totally identified with the Spirit and its initial reception of the Spirit. Paul tells the Corinthians, for by one spirit you were all baptized into one body. This baptism ties us into the body of Christ. When you become a believer, you become a member of the body of Christ. You're the ears, or you're the eyes, or you're the fingers, or the toes, whatever. You are part of the body of Christ. The New Testament doesn't command us to be baptized by the spirit because that happens when we're saved. The Lord does that work. We are commanded to be filled with with the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, which means to be controlled by the Spirit. I mean, think about it for a moment. You want to be controlled by your own desires, your own emotions, your own feelings, your own thoughts, or you want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit that comes from our perfect Heavenly Father. Which will it be? Well, if somebody burns your breakfast, how are you that after That morning? Okay, are you grumpy? What if you don't get any breakfast? What if you have to work through lunch? How do you feel? Okay? Or how do the people around you feel? Do you want to be controlled by your own changes and your own fickleness, or do you want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit? The baptism of the Spirit comes in a sovereign, single, unrepeatable act by our Heavenly Father, Just like justification, just like adoption, he reaches down, he grasps us, pulls us up out of our sin, breathes life into us, gives us this Holy Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is a continual filling process that we as believers are called to be a part of. Now, how do you be filled with the Spirit on a regular basis? Well, you're baptized at once. Now, how do you be filled? We must first empty ourselves. We must first lay ourselves bare before our Heavenly Father and confess our sin and seek after His will in our lives. Now, you can turn over with me to Colossians chapter 3. Because this talks about the filling of the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit is to consciously to continually practice the presence of our Heavenly Father in our lives. To practice the presence of our Heavenly Father in our lives. Well, what does that mean? It means to have a mind and a heart saturated by the Word of God. If you're going to practice the things of God, you've got to know the things of God. If you're going to come before Him on your knees, then you have to know what He expects of us. So when we turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, we'll start in. Colossians 3.14. He's just given a a list of things, and then he he adds this at the end, "...and beyond all these put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, all teaching, admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Thing. Singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then and it goes on to describe even more of that. Okay? So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? To continually renew your mind in the Word of God. To continually think upon the things of, of Christ. What will your life look like if it's filled with the Spirit? If you are continually renewing your mind in the Word. If you are dwelling richly on the words of Christ. Well the things that will come out of your mouth will speak powerfully to the words of Christ. Will, you will testify to the things of Christ. How do you know if somebody's filled with the Spirit? If they're close to the Lord, if their mind and heart are full of these things, if when they open their mouths they declare the things of Christ, and the Lord works through them to change lives. We're just the instrument, almost the conduit. We are called to proclaim the gospel. We don't change hearts. We proclaim the gospel, and the Spirit works through us to impact other lives, to impact the other lives around us. While baptism is a one-time, the filling is a continual event. So let's look quickly here at what happens and what does this mean. First, there was a sound of a sudden, violent, rushing wind. And we'll look at that in a moment. Just this this wind and, and the interplay between wind and spirit and breath in the Word of God, especially in the Old Testament. Then there was the visible signs of tongues of fire resting upon them. And finally, there was this miraculous speaking in the foreign languages so that others could hear the message of the gospel of Christ. All right, wind first. When we speak of the Spirit, we usually mean the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of man. When you speak of the Spirit in these languages, you also deal with breath and spirit and wind. They are all the same word as they are tied together, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek. So they would understand immediately this interplay of these words when they said this great sudden wind or this great sudden breath or this spirit. Now, if you remember back in Genesis 1-1, what was working over the waters? The spirit of God. Okay, It's almost as God, if God is breathing his creative power upon the waters and making the world. Yes, we know he... He, how did he create? He spoke, and there was light. He spoke, and things came into creation. He breathed out the words, and there was matter. That is how God worked. We see that he creates Adam. He takes him, and he forms him out of clay, and then does what? Breathes into him. Breathes this light, this life before He breathed into him. Adam was just a hunk of clay. Okay? Just a hunk of clay. We see in John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking about Nicodemus. He says you must be born again. Meaning like being born for the first time or being born from above. Now Nicodemus is really kind of clueless on this. Remember? He said do I have to crawl into my mother and be born a second time? What, What does this really mean? God breathed into Adam ...to give him new life. God breathes into the believer... ...to give us new life. It is the power of His Spirit... ...to recreate us... ...to change us from a sinful individual... ...into a child of God. Isaiah chapter 2... ...I'm just just touching on these very quickly. Isaiah chapter 2 says... ...why do you trust in man? Man is a one breath creature. Okay? I'm paraphrasing the Hebrew. He's a one breath creature... He breathes in, he breathes out, and he's done. If he doesn't breathe, he's dead. Shouldn't you and wouldn't you rather trust in a creator who breathes life and whose breath gives us life? Do you want to trust in man, who's a one breath creature? Or do you want to trust in God, whose breath gives life? All right, what about the fire? Not just fire, but tongues of fire. Tongues are that which we speak, and when we speak, the breath comes out. All these things are tied together here, and this this is very significant. We breathe out. It's how we produce sounds. So the main point, again, is reinforced. When the Holy Spirit, the breath of God, enters a person, it enables him to give out some of what God has breathed in. What's the difference between Peter's words in Acts 1 and Peter's words in Acts 2? One, he was breathing out the words of men. In Acts 2, he breathes out the words of God. The words of God. Okay, so that accounts for the tongues. What about the fire? Boy, fire is all, all over the Old Testament in particular. Pillar of fire at night leads the people. Pillar of cloud in the day. You remember when Abraham made the, the Lord made the covenant with Abraham He came and said, okay, cut an ox and a bird and all these things in half and put half here and half here. And then at night, the Lord caused a a deep sleep to fall on on Abraham. And Abraham saw this vision of, of the Lord walking between the sacrifices. It was a burning pot of fire that went through. And this is all in Genesis chapter 15. That was a sign of the Lord. This fire was a sign of our heavenly father. Hebrews chapter 12 says that our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire that brings both heat and light. So fire warms us and it consumes the dross in the purification process that leaves only the gold. This is the work of our Heavenly Father. So as Paul states later, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to anyone who believes. How will they know? when the Spirit works through us, when we open our mouths to speak the words of Christ to them. The gospel must be verbally proclaimed for the power to come. Down through church history, we see these times of reformation and these times of revival come. Just, It's not willy-nilly, it's according to the plan of the Lord, but people must humble themselves first. We must continually fill our minds and hearts with the things of God. And then our Heavenly Father provides those things which He has promised. Revival is clearly the sovereign act of God. But He calls us to get our hearts right. So that then He will come and do this powerful work. Verse 12, all those who have heard this message of the gospel in their own languages as these other people have spoken in tongues that they've never spoken of before, they go, what does this mean? What does all of this mean? That's next week. When Peter opens his mouth and the word of God comes forth. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you sent your Holy Spirit nothing was ever the same in this world our savior jesus christ said i have to go but i'm going to send one who will stay who will comfort you who will empower you and you'll do greater things than i've done that is the call upon the hearts and upon the church today to do greater things, to do more, to take the gospel into further and further places, whether that further place would be our own family, our next-door neighbor, or across the globe. That is the call upon our hearts today. We can't do it in our humanness. We look at our own resumes. We don't amount to much. But you use those who are weak. You use those who are empty. You use those who are failures. You make us strong. You fill us with your Spirit, you grant us success, and you give us the multiplication. It's not for our glory, but it is for yours. It is so that we might help fulfill your purposes and your perfect plan. Lord, for believers, you have come and the Spirit lives within us. Now we pray that we might be filled with the Spirit on a continual basis. Prompt our hearts that we would desire and we would consume the things of your word that we would dwell in the things of Christ richly, that we would begin to see this promise of what happens to those who are filled with the Spirit, this, this power and this authority, this ability to do things that we could never dream or imagine. Lord, so that we might be obedient to you, that we might serve you, that the name of Christ would be lifted and the things of the kingdom expanded. This is our prayer, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.